0: Well, you're welcome to episode number 31 of the Time Out podcast with me, Tony McGettigan. And I'm delighted to say today that my guest is a, a well known uh, former footballer who's now a pundit uh, with Sky Sports for, for many years and a former footballer with Celtic, Aston Villa, Bayern Munich. And uh, his name is Alan McAnally. Alan, uh, a great pleasure to feature you on the podcast. No problem, Tony. Absolute
1: pleasure, buddy. I'm glad I can help and uh, see if we can uh, talk about the good old days. It should make me feel really <laughs>
0: really good as well. That, that's right. And it's, it's strange, Alan, it's not often that I would get a guest through um, I've sort of being a, a troll because.
1: <laughs> I know, yeah.
0: I, this interview came about, folks, because um, Alan was making a comment about Virgil van Dyke being, being out for the season and saying that Liverpool mm. couldn't retain the Champions League. and. Of course, with them not being the current holders, I was on it like a flash, elm. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you're right. Having said that, I do think it's going to be difficult for Liverpool. And, of course, it, it may not be without the realms of possibility that they can somehow manage to do it. I do think they'll spend money in January because Virgil won't be available. But my point was really being, when you had tweeted me, and there's a lot of people tweet when you're on yes. uh, when you're on live, etc. T- I mean, obviously, sometimes you're concentrating in the games and stuff. And there's so much things going on. You can't really... Sort of do it, you know. But when you did it, I kind of laughed at myself because I was like, "I'm sure I did. I'm sure I said something wrong there, but I can't remember what it was." And obviously, I said they would retain the Champions League when I actually, funnily enough, meant the title. That's right. Obviously, yeah. with my with my beloved Bayern Munich, I should really know that they won the Champions League. But yeah, it was really good. And I, listen, I, I, I quite like a bit of banter with some of the punters and all that. So I was absolutely delighted to to have a bit of the con club with you. And yeah. Obviously, and you have to remember when you are on the TV if you say something bad about someone's beloved football team then you're going to get it in the next subject. well that,
0: that's it and of course me being a United fan I'll, I was only happy to correct you yeah <laughs> exactly and that's another
1: team and, and, and I tried I think they're going through a tough time at the moment Man United I genuinely do um, but I mean I think the way I talk about United because I live up in the North West and a lot of my pals are huge huge Manchester United fans and uh I, I, I kinda I kinda gauge the Manchester United sort of cloud that's over them with the the glaziers and the manager and the players. Some are good enough, some are not good enough. I kinda gauge most of my, most of my Man United talk will come from the lads who are pretty much submerged in anything to do with Man United. So uh, I have to be careful when I'm talking about Man United because they normally have a go at me most of the time.
0: Well, it's, it's it's not a great time, I suppose, for United when you look at them on the table at the minute, Alan. <laughs> we're, we're bottom half in the Premier League and um, Solskjaer hasn't got an easy job to do. But I don't think it's just on the playing field that United have problems, to be quite honest.
1: Yeah, I agree. I agree, Tony. Um, it's, listen, Manchester United, there is not one manager prior to Sir Alex Ferguson and after Alex Ferguson will we'll have an easy job of managing one of the biggest clubs in the world. It just doesn't happen. The hardest job I think he's got is to get conscientious enough football players that when you sit them down and you put a contract in front of them, whether you're giving them £1 or £200,000 a week, and you ask them, all I want from you is to give your best for the shot, train Monday to Friday, and when you play for me on a Saturday... Give everything you've got for yourself, me, the club and your family. And there's no way that some of those Manchester United players right now can look Solskjaer in the eye that I've signed a contract and said, I've given you everything I have, boss. I think there's too many problems. There's a lot of egos as well, and I suppose with the big money players earn now, you know, and, you know, so much so as the, the ego becomes a little more inflated. But with those big egos, normally you have really good players, but it's a, it's, a, it's a real tough job for Solskjaer trying to um, figure out what his best 11 is, who he can rely on, which is a huge thing for managers because you see it across the road with Manchester City. I mean, some of the players he's got, I don't think they play because he doesn't trust them. He doesn't rely on them. Yes. And that's a big thing that, uh, a big thing for, for Solskjaer that he has to get his best 11. And he obviously doesn't with Pogba at the moment because he's not a starter trying. I think he would be trying to shoehorn him in. He's caused quite a few problems, Pogba, as have another couple. He's got the problems, obviously, with the Harry Maguire thing, which, incidentally, I was in Maguire's side. I said there's no way he should be dropped. No chance.
0: Yeah, well, in a, in a way, when you look at Harry Maguire, I don't think dropping him is the answer in the sense of the I agree, especially, Tony. Especially I agree when, totally, when, when you pay especially £80 million from Alan.
1: And uh, see, that, 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 the, the 80 million is, is a side issue for me, Tony. Yeah. I don't think you drop Harry Maguire because Harry is A, not looking to throw a curveball in given that my mental attitude's really wrong, etc. And all the, all the bleeding hearts that you get in the world now is given it. well, we have to look after his mental fortitude and, you know, mental health and all that. I agree to a certain extent about that. But Harry Maguire has never once, I don't think, shirked his responsibility. He may have played badly. He may have made bad decisions, but there's no way you're telling me that Harry Maguire hasn't chapped his door and said, by the way, don't you dare drop me. I want to play for Man United and I want to get through this, whatever whatever his personal life yeah. or football life is going on. And I was delighted to see him score against Newcastle. And obviously they went on to win the game yeah. just to prove to people that they're giving it. Oh, well, I think they should drop him and, and look after him. And I'm like, it's not a women's game. It's a man's game. Well, yeah. Well, and sometimes yeah. you, sometimes you really do have to knuckle down, and then you see the character of players. And I don't, and I, and I don't say it's not a women's game or a kids' game or a, a whatever game to be um, derogatory to any women's football, or youth football, or or second division, or first division. I'm talking about the character of football players. That your manager wants to see in a football player when you sign him. And I think Harry Maguire has done exactly that. And it's been a good, a good response from Harry, Harry Maguire. It has. Considering been, speaking about Manchester United specifically.
0: Yeah, the problem is with Harry Maguire, it's, it's not only that, it's when you're in a team that's struggling as well. And of course, uh, mm-hmm. he, he's been through a, a personal hell in the last number of months. And that, that has, I think you'd have to agree, I suppose, play a, a fact as well, a factor. Yep. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I do. I agree. I, it's certainly, it'll be, it'll be in his head. Um, and probably the biggest release for him is when he ties the boots on, gets the shirt on and runs over the white line and tries to forget about the stuff that's obviously still going to raise its head to him again. Um, but I'm really talking down the line of, if Manchester United are, as you quite rightly said, not in a position that you want to see them, Tony, which is that, you know, the middle part yes. of the league and not challenge at the top, then I think Maguire is the kind of character that Manchester United need in their football team because I think he will rub off on other people and some of them will dust themselves down and you'll see the proper characters, really good football players coming through and showing exactly why Manchester United were interested in them, in, in, them yeah. in the first place. And some of the so-called superstars will quite simply go and, and, you know, it's, you know, even Sir Alex Ferguson, every signing he made was what, well, you know, they weren't all absolutely yeah. brilliant, but well, then again, he got most of it right, to be fair.
0: He did, and the one thing about Harry Maguire in his defence that I see, Alan, there's two sides. Mm-hmm. Of it for me, he doesn't strike me as a prima donna. He strikes me as an old sort of old style, um, old fashioned player where he, he just wants to get on mm-hmm. with his football. But I must, I must say, Alan, if I'm being brutally honest with you, I don't think Harry Maguire is the kind of defender centre half that United, uh, like when United look where they want to go Alan, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if he's the this kind of a, you know, I just think that uh, he's not he's not the the paceiest centre half, and he's not great on the ball. Do, do you think there's an argument in that, Alan?
1: Yeah, no, no. It Listen, it's a lot of money to be paying for someone when, when when you know fans think well, he's not that pacey, he's not that good on the ball, he's not been the best defender at Manchester United, and remember. And 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 I can tell from a lot of Man United fans when I speak to them that when you look back on a Vidic, on a Ferdinand, on a Bruce, on a Pallister, etc., 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 there has been some outstanding uh, defenders. Uh, and I think collectively you can probably put them a few of them in that um, in that sort of level. But, you know, somebody made the decision to pay 85 million for him. I'm a big fan. Uh, I can understand, you know, you saying that for sure. Because um, maybe Manchester United should have done their homework better. Was he the best at the time to get? Was it uh, I mean, yeah, it was a, panic yeah a, a little panic, bit. I, I don't know. I'm I'm not, yeah, possibly, Tony. Possibly you might be right. But at the same time, I think there was a majority. Of Manchester United fans were pretty happy at the time, well, considering he was he was in decent was in decent form, you know.
0: Yeah, well, I was one of them, Alan. And, and to be quite honest, yeah, Carrie Maguire is is not a bad centre half. That's not what mm. I would be saying. It's just no, uh, no. Uh, but what I see is last season. I think what happened was we were in a position where uh, we lost a number of centre halves through injury. It was coming towards the deadline, and I suppose the the deal was done and. Harry Maguire can still offer, I think, I believe, good things for United. Even if you look towards, mm. in the positive side, towards the end of last season, United kept a lot of clean sheets. So, uh, football, as I say, memories are, uh, they can be, you know, they can fade quickly, but, um. <laughs> yeah, that's it, very true. Yeah, yeah, so he is not a capable defender, but, Alan, on to the the weekend's games, and just before we, we talk, mm-hmm. at this moment in time, would you still fancy Liverpool to to retain the Premier League title?
1: Um, yes, but I do think um, the Van Dyke is really is, uh, listen. If you if, if, if I think we're, we're most people that watch the game at this particular level really do concede that Liverpool have been a different team with Virgil Van Dyke in the team. End of. Yeah. You can add the full-backs, you can add whatever partner, you can tell how Henderson's played in the middle of the park, you can talk about the three up top, which are sensational. Yeah. But they have most definitely been a championship side with Van Dyke. Now, he's no longer there, and he's going to yeah. be missing for the guts of the season. Well, I don't think that Liverpool are anywhere near in a position where we will retain the title this season because we've kept nearly everybody And that's not the case. So I I don't want to say no. I do think that Man City, I do think this boy Diaz is a good player. And with Aymeric Laporte coming back, which incidentally, City didn't win it last year either, keeping towers with Liverpool and Laporte not being available. So City had exactly the same problem. They've also had problems at full-backs, to be fair. And I think that's where I still think that Liverpool are pretty strong. Because if if they go three at the back... And drop Fabinho in as one of the defenders. Although they did play a flat back four with Fabinho uh, as one of the centre halves against Ajax, and they won 1-0. Then I still think Liverpool are strong, and I think they probably are still just about favourites to win the title. But I think it is genuinely wide open because of Van Dijk's unavailability for Liverpool.
0: Yeah, it is certainly a big blow because himself and what Klopp done, you know, bringing in Allison and then like Van Dijk. It's it's definitely the defensive side that I think secured. Uh, helps yeah, their, no question.
1: But yeah. be, because prior to that, Tony, if you think about it, um, I think when Man City won it, I mean Liverpool were still scoring three or four goals, but they were conceding five. That's right. Yeah. Do you know? okay. I I, I over there a little bit? But you know what I mean. Conceding a lot. So, but, yeah, yeah, and and, it, and, it, and 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 I suppose nowadays with you know strikers, you know, and 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 the, and, and the way they they want to press the ball and. With the three that Liverpool have got, and obviously with Man City and Guardiola, the way they play, and the way with a lot of teams play now, then really defensively, is where you know you need to be better than you were the previous season. And I always look when I look at teams now, I always look and think, how were you defensive last season? How are you defensive this season? Have you brought MDN that's better? Have you brought a defender in that? Because yes. I'm fed up people saying, oh, he's uh, 65 million for that centre half. But boys, you know, he, he can really come out and play and, and pass the ball. And I'm like, any chance i him I'm just sniffing danger and being a defender? Yeah, a
0: bit of defender, old style defender. I'm spending,
1: yeah. If, if there's if there's a defender that's eighty million pounds, I want to be spending sixty five million on the defender and fifteen million on. Yes. The, oh, that, that's that's a bonus he can play. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Because that fifteen million we can work on, but he's already coming to me as a defender. And I think that should be more important. And I just think managers are a little bit at the moment in time are, 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 are kind of blinded by, well, we all need to play football, which we do. But there are specific positions in a football team that you want them somebody to be good at. It's nice because, um, you know, if you have a goalkeeper that can use his feet. I was lucky. I played with a couple of good goalkeepers that could pass the ball, could ping the ball into wide areas, et cetera, et cetera. But geez, oh, were they good goalkeepers?
0: Yes, the, the, the so, first and foremost th- there's a little
1: bit of that in the modern day football that kind of irritates me a wee bit Tony when somebody says oh yeah what a player this boy is and I'm like yeah what a player he is but he spends half his time on his arse and can't defend yes that, w- waste of money
0: and that's the job that he's meant to do f- first and foremost And that, a little bit yeah, yeah that's a big win for Liverpool though, on Saturday. I, I get a feeling and a sense of confidence, though, to to beat a Sheffield United side and obviously uh, controversy again to to VAR, um, Alan. But that's definitely <laughs> oh. causing a lot this last while.
1: Oh, the ears. I just don't. I'm just not a big.
0: How do you set with it? I,
1: I don't like it, mate. I just
0: don't like. It. I don't
1: like it because I don't like it. It's it takes it's a hugely. it's hugely objective still. You know, when, when, when you bring something in, you want the grey areas to be out and you want something to be white and something to be black. See, I'm of an age, I, I, not an age, I'm of a, an opinion that even the offside rule, if you want to make it absolutely black and absolutely white with no grey area, if there's a gap between the striker and defender, he's offside. Yes. If anything is touching anything on that line, then he's onside.
0: Yeah, give him advantage.
1: And then, but people say, we're giving an over-advantage to the striker. Well, it's not really about keeping goals out to, to, for people to pay money to go and watch football. They That's want right. to see goals. So on my side of things for the VAR, I'd like to have them use it for that and say, look, his big toe is in line with his calf muscle, he's onside. But if there is a single inch of a gap, then you're offside, which means the defenders will try to do their jobs right, and strikers are trying time their runs better rather than just oh, I'll stay in here because I'm not offside until the second phase the third phase the fourth yeah. phase which is a complete and utter nonsense to me but listen it's been brought in to try and help the game to try and help the referees I don't think it's done either
0: I think it's all this sort of delay as well when a decision has been made Alan it didn't yeah. help like when you see Sheffield United for example on, mm-hmm. s- on Saturday as well they got, a, they got a penalty that I suppose That's right. Klopp and Cole would certainly be debating um, i suppose VAR has brought in good things but for me it 's taken away almost the soul of football well
1: yeah i, I think that 's right i mean that 's a really yeah. deep place to go to when you take you know the soul out of football you know there's yeah. a lot of people have, have said already that the the soul's been taken out of football because of the money that 's now played for and you 've already seen you know a couple of you know left field ideas about you know european leagues and you know, super teams becoming super duper teams, and even richer, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, and you obviously as a fan of Manchester United, and you obviously know fans of Liverpool, and you know fans of other teams. I think the majority are pretty much giving it oh, v, not VAR again, and yeah, that yeah. I think is a that it, it, it certainly wasn't brought in for that reason, and unfortunately, that's what we seem to be getting all the time yeah, for sure. Negative, and and yeah. It, yeah, it's it's a bit. too, I mean, some of it you like. Okay, I mean, there was a, for instance, you know, all the challenges that you see in tackles. Now, if the referee doesn't see it on the game and doesn't, um, either draw a card, etc., etc., then apparently you can't use it retrospectively. Well, what the hell have we got it in in the first place for then?
0: Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. It, it
1: can't just be for the ball crossing the line. It can also surely be used if a player has completely and utterly blatantly taken someone out of the game. And doesn't and and doesn't get away with it. The other thing that I think it should be used for is cheating. Yes. If you dive and you and, and nobody's touching and you have literally thrown yourself to the floor, then I think they should be able to look at that and go, You're cheating.
0: Yeah. It's sort of retrospective punishment.
1: Yeah. And and, yeah. and, and the more you do it, and the more players are, are penalised and the more they sit up at the back out. of the stand because of their 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 the ungentlemanly called up, let's just call it that, then you might find more people actually try to stay on their feet, try to get a goal, rather than actually try to throw themselves to the ground to get a penalty. Which, which obviously is an older football player, uh, who can hold my hand up and say, I never used to try and get a penalty, I used to try and kick the ball into the back of the net, yeah. or stay in my, or stay in my feet to try and pass it to someone else, because we had a, a particular advantage. So, yes. it's, it's objective, it certainly raises huge, huge amount of controversy, but at the moment in time, yeah, uh, is, as much it as it was brought in to help the football tone, I don't think yeah. it's helping help a great deal, man. No,
0: it, it, I think a lot of people would agree with you, including myself, Alan. Just to, yeah. to touch briefly on the Premier League games of the weekend, Alan. Uh, Sheffield United are in a bit of a trouble with, uh, obviously, they've only three goals in six games scored in the Premier League. Yeah. Chris Wilder done a fantastic job last season, but uh, this season they haven't been blown away by any team but they're not getting on the right end of results, and it's sort of it's such a fine line sometimes, Alan.
1: Yeah, so really, I mean, I was the one of the ones that thought they would finish top ten again, yeah, um, because he hadn't really messed with the team too much, couple of injuries, and tried to bring in some fresh, some fresh legs as well. So, and you're right, they haven't been, you know, billeted by anybody, but certainly. That me. Oh, no, lady luck, you need lady luck in your side, but maybe something's just missing from them, and I suppose they always say it is harder second time around, because yeah. everybody knows what to expect, and all of a sudden, um, they're not such a surprise towards anybody. I still think they'll be okay, I don't think they'll be relegated, but at the same time, it's just not going yeah. for them at the moment, and you're right, I mean, Liverpool managed to win the game 3-2, that was a huge three point for, for Liverpool. But, you know, Sheffield, Wednesday, uh, Sheffield, Sheffield United will be disappointed that yeah. they were beaten by the odd goal. But, you know, it's, it's, it's an away game. You know, you get turned over and, you know, you're back to the drawing board again. And you look at yeah. the next fixture for Chris Wilder, who, as you, I agree with you, I, th- I think he did a fantastic job last year.
0: Yeah, fantastic. A lot of people, nobody's seen that coming, Alan. And uh, Crystal Palace, uh, Roy Hodgson and Co., um, went to Fulham and beat them 2-1 and of course mm-hmm. uh, uh, Scott Parker has got uh, it's almost like a, I would say there's a, a resigned feeling almost that Fulham are going down and uh, f- he hasn't got an easy job but Crystal Palace as well Roy Hodgson uh, the old dog for the the hard road as you say and uh, he's uh, the oldest manager in the Premier League and he's still going strong on
1: mm-hmm. he's one of the if you ever get the opportunity uh, and I mean this to anybody listening to this to get the, the, the time to sit with Hodgson uh, and talk about football is is just brilliant because he can talk about international football, European football you know, English football You know, it's he's ju- he's just brilliant and I'm, I'm, as, as, as his age, yeah you're right but I, I never see him as like such an old man with no enthusiasm every time I see him, I don't really see him as a man that's 70 odd years old because he doesn't come across that way to me and, and obviously, but obviously facial features, if he gets a bit older and people yeah. become worried that, oh, is he, is he, you know, is he under too much pressure? I think he thrives on it, genuinely thrives on it. Although he said something the other day that, <laughs> I think it was after the Fulham game, he said, I never doubted Zaha's, uh, Zahaz, uh <laughs> like, like, I don't know what's what word I'm looking for, like, you know, the, 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 the colour to the cause, yeah, yeah, you know, I've never, his commitment to the cause, and I'm like, yeah, but what about the letter he put in for a transfer in the middle of last season? But yeah. at the same time, listen, he did manage to keep him, no one came in for him, so that's brilliant for for, for Crystal Palace, but even better for the manager, because he knows he's got a player who can turn the game, and that's exactly yeah. what he did against Fulham. But I've got, I've got great admiration for Roy Hodgson. He's done a brilliant job.
0: Well, he's a, he's a good football man, and through the years, when you actually look at his CV, I know it didn't work out for him at Liverpool, and, but no. for me, when I look at Roy Hodgson, and the jobs he's done, he, he managed Fulham in the past as well, and he done a good job. I think he had, had them in the top half of the table. Um, yeah, going, that's going back a good few years now. Mm-hmm. But, but, if Palace, like, I suppose the, the objective will be to sort of avoid relegation and be in that sort of upper half of the bottom half, if you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, yeah I think you can break it into little sections like that. I agree with you, Tony. Um, just, we never really mentioned Fulham a little bit there. I think Scottie yeah. Parker, you know, where they came from last year was incredible because, to, to be honest, Brentford, I mean, I thought Brentford were up with four games to go. and They went to Stoke, I think, with two games to go, got beat there, and I was like, uh-oh. Yeah, that that that's weird, and all of a sudden Fulham were still there and still there and still there, and of course manages to uh, to win uh, in the playoffs. So it's been a, it's, it's been a brilliant run, but this is going to be obviously the litmus test. I mean, I know Mitrovic will get you goals. I've argued with a lot of people that I don't see him as a top top Premier League striker. Um, and unless he somehow gets his shooting boots on every week, then you know Fulham are going to struggle. But it's yeah. as simple as that. But goals, um, yeah. it was it, it was a tough. Tr- I mean, and and again, if you think about it, being like in a kind of London derby, obviously with Fulham not that far away from each other, um, it kind of pumped the pressure up on Scotty again. And of course, they lose the game. Palace take it, and you know people yeah. are obviously mm-hmm. going to say, oh, it doesn't matter, Fulham on down." But you know, you just never know. If they can get on a little bit of a run, and at least try and Grab onto the, you know, fourth, fifth bottom position. If they can do that, then maybe, but it is going to be so, so tough. And by the way, everybody's been talking about Tony. Sorry to interrupt me. I was only, there's one specific thing about everybody saying the goals they're conceding and the defenders they've got. So basically they are under so much pressure now to go and spend money, bring in defenders. That ain't going to be the, you know, the, um, you know, the cause, uh, or, or the, or they get out a jail card that Scotty wants. He knows this is going to be a tough season, and if they go down, I certainly hope they keep with them.
0: Well, I think the, there'll be almost an acceptance. I think that the he yeah. faces is a very tough one, and uh, bringing any team into to a, the Premier Division and Man City and Pep Guardiola um, and it's, I think someone mentioned on uh, Sky the weekend that it's uh, it's his worst start to a to a season. Mm. Guardiola and uh, tough place to go. And David Moyes, I must say personally, I'm (coughs) delighted to see him that he's got West Ham playing good football.
1: Absolutely. Uh, And I think of all the managers out with Scotty Parker, I think David Moyes was under more pressure than any manager at the start of the season. Yeah. Because I still don't think they realised the job he did last year. Because they actually survived pretty easily in the end. And they were staring right down the barrel before Moyes. You know, manages to do his thing. I mean, obviously, I know David Moyes. I mean, I, I I played against David Moyes when we were seventeen, you know, years old back in the day when he played for Scottish schools and I played for Ayrshire schools. So we've known each other for that kind of length of time. And by the way, I am I was delighted because of all the people who's going to come after Sir Alex Ferguson that would have the balls to even say, "Yeah, I'll take the job." Yeah. Knowing. That it just might not turn out the way. Don't think for one minute that Moisey thought he was coming in to win the Champions League, you know, in the first season. You know, he knew how difficult it was going to be. And I I think it's been proven how difficult it was because I don't care they could have brought in somebody from whomever. There was no way they were going to do what Sir Alex Ferguson did. No. So the fact that that he's got a, a backbone to try and take on a job like that. I think is is just full marks to Moisey. and you know, and like you just properly said, he's got them playing. He's managed to get a few people who were injured and not available last season. That's going to help. And um although yeah. to be fair, say you will be disappointed, they didn't turn him over. It's a yeah. brilliant point for a brilliant a brilliant point for West
0: Well, for me, David Moyes is an underappreciated manager because yeah, for you, sure. You look at the job for me, and this is what I say uh, personally: the, the minute that David Moyes was sacked as Manchester United manager, for me. United lost their DNA as a, as a club because mm-hmm. we, we appointed him for six years and got rid of him after 10 months and very unfair circumstances if, if you ask me. Now he might have been doomed anyway and a lot of people said he wasn't the man for the job but the point mm-hmm. I'm trying to make is he wasn't given a fair chance at United.
1: I I, I agree I agree and, and not only that which which made it a little bit more disappointing for me with David was he wasn't really backed, I don't think, Tony. No. But whereas the next two managers that came in were backed and were given money to spend. So I think that was a little bit unfair, you're right. Uh, and 10 months wasn't enough—a long time for him to, to get to grips with that job. And incidentally, it's not as if you as a Manchester United fan can say, we've had the right man in the job for the last five years and, and look where we are now. No, he definitely it's comes- it's, been, a, it's yeah. been a real stutter for them. And even given Ollie the job who's obviously a huge fan's favourite, there's still a lot of people thinking that, you know, not that he's not the man for the job, but he doesn't have that experience to take it on. Personally, I think he's done a brilliant job. He has. The only problem is, I think some of the players he's got at Manchester United couldn't give a damn Oh, and that's right. a problem for them.
0: Uh, you can definitely see that in some of the performances, Alan. They're, like, they're very mixed uh, performances. And of course, United um, on Saturday, it was 0-0 against Chelsea. Uh, Alan, mm. a bit of a drab affair, but a result, I, I think, almost like both teams didn't want to lose.
1: Yeah, yeah you're probably right. As I was watching the game, um, I was thinking I'll have a little in-play bet and I was going to bet nil nil, and I was thinking, no, what am I talking about? 0-0, Chelsea, Manchester United. Somebody's going to score. And then, of course, Marcus nearly popped up at the death and then Mendy has a great save. And then they blow the full-time whistle. And I was thinking, of all the games at the weekend, you could have given me the Bank of England's money and I wouldn't have had a bet on 0-0. And it's maybe, I don't know, maybe you, you're quite right. Maybe it's a, a game that, A, neither wanted to win, neither wanted to lose, if you know what I mean. And they're kind of happy just to get through it. A, Chelsea with a clean sheet and Manchester United almost nicking it but it's uh, yeah. it certainly wasn't uh, it didn't really sort of,
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, way up to the to the expectations yeah. of what we had but at the same time you could then argue of course that it was a good result for Manchester United as well considering Chelsea have spent so much money on Werner, Havertz, Ziyech uh, uh, Mendy,
0: etc., 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 you know, and of course,
1: uh, Tiago.
0: They've spent a lot of money, and um, definitely it's a result that both, both managers won't be too displeased with. Leeds are, no. doing, are doing great work, um, Alan, fantastic 3 0 win against your old team, Villa.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it was a, well, listen, I, again, Villa, what is it, four in the bounce, and we're thinking, yeah, that's pretty good, we'll take that. The worst we can get, hopefully, would be a draw. And then you go to Leeds and Bamford gets a hat trick and you get spanked and you get turned over 3 nothing. Quite unbelievable, actually. It just shows you that they're going to be a team, a little Jekyll and hyde where they'll look as though the else has done a brilliant job or they'll look a little bit vulnerable. But, you know, so far what I've seen from Leeds United, I think they've been a good addition to the Premier League, to oh, be honest. A fresh air. Yeah, definitely. And they are naturally, and you know, you know, the kids might not know it, but certainly in terms of a big football club with a huge following, then that's what they, they, they do have. And although there's no fans in the stadium, I, 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 still kind of, kind of feel the players feel responsibility in League United back in the Premiership. And I think that's what you're seeing from some of the performances.
0: Yeah, d- definitely. And they're sort of attacking and there, there's no fear there in the Leeds team. And, and, uh, of course, Villa up was, was huge for them last season, uh, Alan. And great to see Aston Villa in the Premier League.
1: Yeah. No, listen, huge football club. Uh, such fond memories I've been very fortunate to be involved with a, a football club at Aston Villa back in my playing days um, and Dean Smith who was under huge pressure by the way, and I mean huge pressure And the end of the season it still looked as if they were staring down the barrel somehow managed to get over it and all of a sudden they've brought in players now that that look as though you know, they've, a, they've hit the ground running and certainly better than what Dean had in the team last season so certainly they've looked really good Um, certainly I don't think anybody could ever think that Aston Villa would score seven goals against against Liverpool and that's exactly what they did enjoyed it at the time but unfortunately with that result at the weekend kind of back to earth with a bit of a bump dust yourself down and get on with it because you know that Premier Division is not going to be easy but yeah listen I think Villa will be alright I think they're going to be a team that will hopefully be looking you know 13th, 12th without being too greedy and then looking to try and kick on again next season. But yeah, I'm delighted yeah. to see my team, my, my old team doing well.
0: Southampton got the better of Everton and, um, you know, mm. it's, uh, a result. And Shalotti and co went there. It's, an, it's not an easy place to go. And, um, <laughs> 2-0 turned over, which, uh, I suppose it's <laughs> not a massive shock because it is a difficult venue to to go and take points, Alan.
1: Yeah, I never, listen, when I looked at the fixture list, Tony, and I was putting my, my bet on at the weekend, Um, for a little accumulator that was one of the ones I was like I would not touch that game because I don't know how that's going to go because for the simple reason that I've said Hampton are a good going day they're a good team and everybody's thinking oh Everton can do this now and Everton can do that and they have had a great start but I don't think they'll win the league I don't think they'll finish above Liverpool but you know in days like that going down to Southampton don't be, don't be fooled for one minute that it's a, not a difficult place to go. And he's done really well, Hassan Hüttel. He's turned that team around because they has. got absolutely wiped out for about three months after that result against Leicester. And he has turned that team on its head and managed obviously to get a player like Danny Ings in scoring yeah. goals as well.
0: It's hugely impressive actually the job he's done there, Hassan Like When you consider the, the <laughs> drubbing to, to Leicester, that could have mm. easily went one way. Oh,
1: oh, absolutely! He he could have been on the first flight the following morning for sure, and dug in. um, And you've got to say full marks to the people that are running Southampton because they gave them the job, they've backed them, stayed with them, and they're getting their rewards.
0: Well, not enough managers get that nowadays, Alan. For me, Uh, sure. And uh, that's good to see Southampton sort of breaking a trend. Wolves uh, one each with Newcastle. Um, It's a good result for Steve Bruce, who again. Uh, two good managers here really and truly and uh yeah. I've a very obviously been a former red devil uh, steve bruce i have a big soft spot, i have a soft spot for steve
1: yeah love well, but I, I listen i'm i uh, him and i put against each other uh I've known steve bruce for a long time um and you know been working on sky I've seen him at a few different football clubs and he's told me some things that I just have kept to myself etc etc so I have a really good relationship with steve and I was delighted Anytime he gets a result, he's another manager very similar, I think, to what I said about David Moyes, about people being unconvinced and want something better, and that's not always the case. I mean, he's the man that's brought some new players in. You know, San Maxi man has had a new contract, um, and he's juggling the pack every time he plays, because obviously that situation with the owners at Newcastle, etc., cetera, et cetera, is changing from day to day to day to day, and it must have been a difficult situation with Steve Bruce when the window was open, to go to the owner and say, look, I I want A, B, C, and D, um, and I'd like them all, and he maybe only gets one of them. And it must have been a really difficult situation. And don't forget how well Wolves have done so I'm kind of looking at that result of the weekend, Tony, as it's a better point for Newcastle than it was for Wolverhampton, considering the goal from Jimenez was a beauty, and it looked as though that Wolves were going to win it.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a great point for Steve Bruce. And, you know, the job that I, I kind of feel sorry for him, because obviously the takeover rumours that looked like it was going to be a new manager Ooh. and a new team. And uh, Steve's kept, like uh, he's continued doing his job there, and a very fine job he did last season with them.
1: Absolutely Um, and that's probably another one Where a lot of Newcastle fans Are still having to be won over by Steve If you just look at how well they've done And take your position from You're a Premier Division team still then that should surely give you some kind of optimism, rather than the the cup half full that most of the two armies seem to have
0: at the moment. Yeah, and that's I suppose uh, something has been uh, there for a good number of years, uh, that sort of attitude. And um, I suppose they've 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 good reason in some senses to to be like that. But uh, Bren Rogers went to uh, and his Leicester side went to Arsenal last night, um, Alan. And I must admit, when I seen the Leicester lineup to start with, I wasn't too confident that they'd be coming away with three points. <laughs> Unbelievable result. I yeah. mean,
1: I, I think, the, I don't know whether we're being blinded by the magic of Mikel Arteta, who seems to have changed the fortunes in Arsenal. They, they look more like a football team together than some of the kind of flaky kind of sections within the team that they, you know, that, that, that they looked like it. And it looked as though Arteta had actually got them by the grip of the neck and said, hey, we're a team, we're not individuals um, and then that, and then it just shows you, Brendan Rodgers has got something. Obviously, he must have a little bag of gold dust and sprinkled it on his team, and they managed to get the points uh, yeah. against Arsenal. It's, it's a brilliant away performance by Leicester. But you're right again. When you, before the game, you're thinking, I think Arsenal will probably win two 0
0: Well, no, Vardy, you know, and Vardy of course came off the bench, and um, Arsenal for me. Like under Arteta, Arteta is for me. He's he's a very good coach. He was with uh, Pep mm-hmm. Guardiola at City. He's obviously very yeah. capable. Arsenal, I think he's got Arsenal more balanced, and and the sort of they're 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 a bit more capable now in the defence mm-hmm. going forward. But uh, it's a setback last night in, in losing to Leicester. But you have to hand it to Brennan Rogers, uh, Alan, and I would have one question looking at that Leicester team that you might be able mm-hmm. to answer.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: They haven't seemed. Brett Rogers doesn't really seem to have been backed. Uh, in the market much by... by. The, I agree. Yeah. No, I agree.
1: I agree. There's no question that uh, they didn't do as much business as I thought they would do. Yeah. Now, there's obviously some good players there, but of all the teams that I thought would not give it a go more, but I th- would invest in the team and bring in better than what it had, I thought Leicester would be one of them. You're right. And, and probably that's one of the reasons why I had actually said at the start of the season... I don't think that Leicester could get near sixth or seventh or eighth because I don't think the investment the team was specific enough with all the teams round about them investing you know money in them, and yet you know he goes to Arsenal, turns them over, gets the points. And maybe we're completely wrong, but the job he's done has been brilliant, Brendan Rogers, And you never know, there may be a little pot for him in January to strengthen, depending yeah. on where they are in the league.
0: Well, their squad's a bit thin, and that's the one thing I would worry about about Leicester. Like, they don't really mm. have the numbers. And when you look at Brendan Rogers, what he done this night, uh, for me, and this is no way, and I don't mean this in a bad way against Leicester, but for me, I'm very surprised that, I suppose the timing really has dictated where Rogers has been at the minute, but He's definitely a manager for me that would wouldn't look out of place at somewhere like Chelsea, or, you know, or a, a, mm-hmm. a, a higher club. But uh, no,
1: I, don't th- yeah, I think you're right because I think he's known as quite a good coach as well, regardless of man manager. So yeah, I think you're right. I think there's a, there's a lot of clubs would be would be you know if he wasn't at Leicester would certainly be thinking he'd be a good manager for our football club.
0: Yeah, and uh, I can't really understand you know when I look at it Alan, when he obviously left Celtic, Rodgers. Mm-hmm. Like the he was on the verge of sort of making history, and I, I'm a bit of I have to say disappointed in his decision to leave with the timing. Like, what was your view yeah. on that?
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously, I know a lot of Celtic fans, and I think the majority were saying that you know we are getting the, the treble treble, and uh, you've decided to leave. And I don't want to say jump ship. He'll have his reasons. Maybe again, it was just a simple thing that. This was an opportunity he didn't want to turn down. It came at a time where he could have done without it and it had come at the end of the season. But he left um, and obviously gave Neil Lennon the reins. He went on to do exactly what they hoped would do at Celtic and won that treble treble. Um, And Brendan Rodgers will probably be forever remembered, unfortunately, by the Celtic fans as not such glowing reputation because he seems to have left them right when like you quite rightly said there was something quite historic going to happen but you know football a, a, can be a, a real I don't know it can be a a funny lady to you sometimes that opportunities raise their head and you either make one decision to yeah. take it or another decision to not and he took it yeah. now you've got to say the job he's done at Leicester has been good unfortunately for Celtic They've lost the services of uh, of, of yeah. Rodgers, but they went on to make that historic point. Neil's come in, done a good job. It's going to be a difficult season this season, with obviously the resurgence of Aberdeen and uh, and Rangers, and uh, and you know, good luck to Brendan Rodgers because it must have been a very very difficult decision. Oh, yeah. and, he, and, by, and and the and the other thing, Tony, that you you quite rightly said in your opening question to me there, he must have known the gravitas, he must have known the weight of the decision he was having to make for himself yes. and his family by saying, I'm going to leave Celtic and I'm going to go to Leicester. And I know that a lot of people are not going to understand it.
0: Well, what I don't understand most of all, Alan, um, is that you could understand if there was no connection with Rogers and Celtic, but as he said himself many times, he's a boyhood Celtic fan. Mm-hmm. You know, and they're on the verge of making history. It, uh, that, to me, doesn't make sense.
1: But, no, it's, yeah. Yeah. And, and even when it comes from Brendan himself saying that, and that's why a lot of people are, yeah. are you know, are were quite, you know, bemused by the situation. But like I say, sometimes yeah. you know something in football just comes at a time Timing. where you didn't you didn't think it would you would ever have to make a decision like that, and he did. Yeah. And and hopefully it's, it, it's 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 uh, it's going well for both both parties so far.
0: What do you make, Alan, of the situation at Celtic at the minute? Obviously, Drew with Aberdeen yesterday in the league, mm-hmm. they set six points off Rangers. Rangers had a 2-0 win against Livingston yesterday. A lot yep. of Celtic fans I'm seeing today are calling for Lennon to be sacked.
1: Uh, no, I saw a little bit of that, actually. Um, I thought they were a little... I mean, defensively, I didn't think they were particularly good yesterday, Celtic. And Certainly, you know, after going 3-2 up and then conceding uh, another penalty was calamitous to say the least, considering, you know, Aberdeen were obviously going to be forcing their hand to try and get back in the game. And I didn't think Celtic handled the situation particularly well. And I think that's where Neil will be hugely frustrated that they didn't manage to see it out. Whereas Rangers, on the other hand, are compounding the matter worse for Celtic because they're looking much more assured and winning games relatively easy having a good little spell in Europe as well. You know, was it Bruce? they went to and, and won the game, yeah. etc.? know, and Celtic have a home game against AC Milan. Get turned over, then you drop a point at Aberdeen. So, yeah, I don't know about Neil getting a sack. I don't know if I'm, I'm, I'm hugely down that line. But I would have said at the start of the season that Neil must have been asking for some really good investment in the team. And I don't think he got that too much from Celtic. And that, well, not that he didn't get it. He's obviously got some, but I don't think, I I thought it would have come from upstairs. Never mind what Neil wanted to go. Boom. This is a statement from Celtic Football Club. We're going out to bring in three or four marquee signings and we're going to spend a certain amount of money. And I think that would have been a really good stance from Celtic because there's no question that Celtic have the money to do that. But I think they chose not to, and I I was a little surprised that they didn't go a little more heavy-handed to try and really strengthen the squad, considering they're going for 10 in a row, and obviously they wanted to have some kind of elongated um, run in Europe, which is obviously what all the fans uh, love most of all.
0: Do you think that's a, do? you think the reaction of the, what I'm sort of trying to make sense of it, Alan, is maybe it's the panic of you know falling six points behind Rangers. I know they've got a the game in hand, but you know maybe it's a, a sort of reaction to the the in a row might be slipping.
1: but well, there's There's absolutely no question. And yeah. incidentally, Tony, everybody I speak to north of the border are all they can think of. Is how do we get this ten in a row? Yeah, we we don't want to miss this opportunity for ten in a row. And I suppose back my comments just backed off to from what I've just said. There was I thought it would have come from upstairs that that would be an important factor in the history of Celtic Football Club, and it would have gone heavier into the market for Neil Lennon. Yeah, but I don't Shurer. think that. Yeah. yeah, I didn't think I didn't think they did that specifically. Whether or not it was just a simple fact that geographically. Nobody wants to go in Scotland nobody wants to play in the Scottish Premiership regardless of you know the, the size of football club that Glasgow Celtic is that might be the case they might have gone for players that quite simply didn't want to go to live in Scotland play in Scotland and play for Celtic now that happens in life but there must have been a few that they could have gone to that, have, that you know were better players than Celtic have got just now and sort of made a statement but certainly on their lips for sure is the fact that Gerard's done a good job at Rangers and the fact that Celtic are desperate to get this 10 in a row. And at the moment in time, you might be right. The frustration's coming out yeah. in the fans because they're thinking, hang on a minute. We need to do something about this because that result of the weekend wasn't good enough. Still a point away from home, remember? And Aberdeen, you never know.
0: Not an easy position.
1: Might be the team no. that, yeah, you know, yeah, they might be the team that chase, you know, Rangers and Aberdeen, uh, uh, sorry, Rangers Celtic right all the way to to the yeah. title end. But I think it's a frustrating time for Neil Lennon at the moment. And, uh, you, listen. You, you can't beat a football club like Glasgow Celtic and not think there's going to be some negativity along the way. No. But I think it's more a frustration thing from the fans rather than the fact that they want to, to, to see Neil out the door. You know.
0: Well, I think if you look at it as well, the results in the sense of they played Rangers and they were sort of outplayed by Rangers. And yep. Then you have the European result against East Milan and the game against Aberdeen. And the one thing I would say uh, is that, from the outside looking in, is that Neil Lennon deserves time. You know, he, uh, if you, I would say if you cut him, he would probably bleed green. You know, he's, <laughs> he's Celtic <laughs> through and through. And he deserves a chance to, do you know what I mean, go out on a... You know, if he does, let's say, go on and, and do history. I would mm-hmm. like to see him given a chance to, to see through the stormy waters right now.
1: Yeah, and I mean, the, the, the we don't know the engine. Oh, I certainly don't know. Uh, but you don't know the engine out to so the runnings of the football That's club true. in terms of, look... Neil, this is what you've got at the moment. We think the squad's good enough. You should go and work with it. But you know there'll be an opportunity in January to strengthen the squad, and maybe that's what's going to that. You know, Neil will have that opportunity to do that if he wants to. But certainly, in terms of a little bit more time, you have to remember that he came in, took the job when when Brendan Rodgers left, and then had that huge success. Um, The only thing is, I I was maybe a little bit disappointed with the result midweek against AC Milan. But there's no question that without fans at the moment, I think that's hurting a lot of the big teams. And I think Celtic are are part of that because the atmosphere, you know, in in a European night, uh, can sometimes be the difference of getting, Yeah. yeah, kind of. I mean, it sounds a bit corny, but having played, you know, there and hear the noise and, and there's that little bit more expectance on you, then it's probably hurting Celtic more than anybody else. Hey, it's a long season, Tony. There's nothing to get too worried about just now, and there'll That's be it. plenty of opportunities for Celtic to get it right.
0: Yeah. Well, Alan, we're going to move on now to the, the, sort of the, the final quarter of the interview, and it's more or less on your own career, and mm-hmm. um, to, to touch on a number of questions. And, of course, Celtic, it's it's good that we've, we're talking about them, because uh, you, mm-hmm. after you left uh, Air in 1984, you mm-hmm. Place where you're from. You signed for Celtic. You were there for three years. Mm-hmm. And eighty five, eighty six. You want you were part of the t- squad that won the title on goal difference from Hearts. Yep, what's that's your, right. What's your memories of that, Alan? Oh
1: my goodness, that was unbelievable. Uh, we had to beat St Mirren, and I think Hearts got beat from Dundee. And I, I, I was actually ill for the very last day of the season. Um, and I couldn't spend it. It was a kind of like, it sounds like coronavirus. I had like a fever and I, I couldn't actually come to Parkhead or anything. And I was lying in my bed listening to the game. And when we scored the fourth goal, I got in the car and drove to Paisley. And drove just because I was like, I can't, I'm not missing this. And I actually drove to St Mirren to see the lads. And I got just before... I'm, I'm, I'm going to say it was just before the end of the game, um, and that's my that's my genuine memory of you know that last day, which was just quite incredible. But um, I was I was lucky when I left there and went to Celtic; it was a great opportunity, and I'm glad I did it.
0: And what a dramatic uh, final day to to sort to one in goal difference. And um, I know, yeah. yeah, it must be nice to to sort of have that because it would it could be an easily different story. But it's nice to memory to look back on. You have a medal in your back pocket.
1: Oh, absolutely. It's just incredible. Um, I mean, we won the Scottish Cup as well. We beat Dundee United 2-1. That was a, a wonderful day. Um, but I think to be involved, I mean, my my family were not really big Rangers or Celtic fans, uh, to be honest, because my father played football. He was quite a successful That's football right, player Jackie. with Kamarnock and Mother, yeah. And that, yeah. I suppose when you're talking about winning the title with Celtic, Obviously, my father won the league with Kilmarnock in 1964-65, right. and our medals are absolutely identical from all those years apart, apart wow. from obviously one says J McInally and one says A, a. Mcinally So, even just for that particular fact, the father and son won the same competition, you know, whatever it was, 30 years later on, is uh, is something really special. Yeah, but um, it was a, 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 it was a great time for me. Um, And to be absolutely honest with you, I had no desire to leave Celtic. It was a a changing of the guard, um, a changing in the board, a changing of the manager, etc, etc. Although Graham Taylor had tried to get me to go to Watford twice prior to me leaving Celtic, but I didn't want to leave Celtic then either. And it wasn't until there was a bit of a change in, in view. It, to be quite honest with you, I didn't really think Celtic were that really bothered whether I stayed or whether I went. Uh, and I'm not saying, oh, woe me and I'd like them to to have wanted me more. Yes. It was just, that was the kind of feeling I got. And then I went to Aston Villa and then my career just went, sky and it was all over.
0: Yeah, well, you of course, with Villa in, in 1988, you got promotion with Aston Villa
1: yeah well that's another reason why I didn't want to go to Aston Villa because I didn't want to play in a lower league but when I went down to Aston Villa I was like oh my god this is not a league team this is a proper division team Yeah, so that kind of made my mind up a little bit Um, and obviously financially it was pretty good and you know one year we just come straight up and then sort of stormed the Premier Division it wasn't the Premier Division but the Championship or the, the First Division I suppose you called it back then um, and it was a great move and they were a really, really good football team to play for. And I got to play for Graham Taylor and I'm glad I did because um, he was really good to me. Really, really good. He pushed me. He was hard on me. But I've certainly got a lot of uh, of reasons to thank Graham Taylor for my yeah. particular career, going in the right direction rather than making a wrong decision, leaving Celtic and, and things never happening for me then.
0: Great character Graham Taylor was. And, um, you know, of course, the time with Watford as well. He's uh, he always struck me like a man that was was uh, loved across English football.
1: Yeah, loyal as it, loyal as the days long. Um, he was disciplinarian, but if you did what he wanted you to do or tried to do it, and gave him everything you've got, then you never had a problem. And I certainly never had a problem with him. Um, the boys used to tease me a little bit, even though I was one of the senior players there and obviously one of the better players. Used to tease me. I was always think I was his teacher's pet because yes. I always used to say Gaffer I'm not doing that I don't want to do that and he'd be like what do you <laughs> want to do big man what do you want to do and I'm like oh, well I want to do some crossing and shooting and finishing and he'd be like right that's it big man wants crossing and shooting and finishing and we're <laughs> going to do that instead so we always used to have a laugh and a joke and all that but he was really quite good like that you know he, he liked a good atmosphere in the dressing room and he liked players to have enough to say for themselves but at the same time he wanted four or five leaders in the team and at times you know, he wouldn't need to say anything, and we could, you know, we used to sort of police ourselves in the dressing room, etc., etc., as well as obviously what he would throw in. So it was—I've yeah. uh, obviously had really good memories uh, about him. And to be quite honest with you, I would never have got to Bayern Munich if it hadn't been for Graham Taylor.
0: Well, I was just going to say it here. That comes out the next question, um, Alan. And can you remember the first time that you you were told that Bayern Munich were interested in you?
1: Uh, Scotland played Chile at Hampden. Uh, We won 2-0 and I scored the first goal, played really well. Um, And my dad was at the game. Uh, And I was driving back him, I was driving him back down to Ayr because I was staying at my parents' house before I went down, back down to Birmingham. I was at Villa at the time. Um, And an agent came up to me and said, look, would you do me a favour and and meet these guys at the, I'm trying to remember the hotel's name, wasn't it? The Hilton or something it was, I can't remember where it was now
0: yeah.
1: I can see the hotel but God knows what it's called now um, and I said well I've got my dad with me and my dad's like, I'm like oh, can, oh God can I get a whiskey I went yeah you can get a whiskey we'll go somewhere you can get a whiskey no about that and when I walked in it was Uli Hoonis um, Fritz Scherer uh, Jupp Heinckes who was the coach at the time um, and another part of the sort of directors and I was like oh right okay so it's Bayern Munich why going to meet Bayern Munich and I was like yeah and I walked in, they were really nice, Hoonis' English was impeccable, and just said, look, would you be interested in coming to Bar Munich? And I'd said, well, I'm under contract at Aston Villa, so, I mean, everything's fine there for me at the moment, but, you know, I'm, I'm never saying no, et cetera, et cetera. All, I can hear my old man giving, it, I can hear him ordering a whiskey, you know, <laughs> <laughs> making sure he still gets his whiskey before I drove him down to, back, back home, you know. So it was, a, you know, that, that was the very first time. So it was after a game against an international game uh, for Scotland. And then I think they came and watched a few Villa games. And obviously we'd gone quite good. Uh, and then there was the very last day of the season and we were playing, uh, we were playing Coventry. And they had a big guy, big Brian Cochrane was the de- defender. I uh, used to call him killer. And I can remember saying to Brian Cochrane, Brian, listen, just any chance you just don't kick me up and down the park today because i <laughs> Munichs here, and I don't want to get injured. And he went, "It's all right, big man." And you, and, and of course, I'm up front with Big Gary Thompson. He went, "I love Big Tomo, not a problem." He said, "It's Martin Keown I don't like, so you two are okay." So we were like, "Oh, that's all right then." So we were okay. <laughs> you we're safe. The game was rubbish. We drew 0-0 and I thought, "Oh well, that's that then. That's that all over." And uh, sort of three weeks later, I was a Bayern Munich player. So. Uh, it was it was kind of as quick as that. And again, it was I wasn't in a situation where I really wanted to leave Aston Villa because I didn't. But I suppose opportunities as a football player don't land on your lap that says, you know, do you want to be a Bayern Munich player?
0: And that's a, a situation you don't really want to turn down, as opposed too. And uh, a giant of, of uh, football. And you won the title <laughs> yeah. in 89 with them.
1: Uh, the yeah, I went there straight away. Yeah, I won the title right away. It was weird because I, I kind of wanted to win the Pokal as well, the cup but they simply didn't take it seriously at all. The uh, the cup competition was all about the Champions League, which we got beat in the semi-final by AC Milan. Um, uh, we drew 1-1 in Milan, Van Basten scored a penalty, and then we won 2-1 in Munich, where I scored. But we went out on the away goals. Uh, we still won the title... And then the following season, again, we got beat by Red Star Belgrade in the semi-final in extra time. So I kind of hit the crossbar. shoot had two winners' medals, really, because both of those teams that beat us, Milan and Red Star, went on to win it. Um, so that was a little bit unlucky. And then, unfortunately, that following season, I got injured and I just never played again. So yeah. it was it went from absolute, the highest of the high, playing at the absolute top, top level of European football to getting this silly, stupid injury it was just a, a game changer, and it finished my career. You know, I was training on the Wednesday and on the Monday, my career was over. Incredible.
0: What exactly happened, uh, Alan, with injury?
1: It was uh, the, the boy landed on, on my, my knee, went in the way rather than sort of out the way. So it was, but anyway, the part, of the bone chipped and took it, and took away the, the cartilage and the meniscus. And with me trying to keep playing and the weight on it, etc., etc. It's like when you take something out of a watch or you take something out of a, a device, it never functions again the way it properly should and that was exactly what my knee was like and as, a, and as a you know a 29 30 year old striker having experienced all the stuff i had behind me um not thinking i was invincible but you pick up injuries etc cetera, etc cetera. but this one i just couldn't shake but it was the fact that it had done something specific to the joint and that was me done and dusted and yeah. to this day i've got a metal knee and <laughs> i make nice funny noises when i go through the airport and <laughs> The lads are like, "Oh, hi, big man! How's the knee?" I'm like, "Well, let's see if this machine's working and see if it goes
0: off." So you, you you'll get away with that. I'm, I'm sure they'll know it. Absolutely, they'll yeah, a fan right. what the metal, with the metal needs. I know. Yeah. But what, what would you say is a big? I'm interested, Alan and notice What's what's the single biggest difference you would say between the German approach in, in training and preparation to the to the British approach?
1: Um, I think. <laughs> I'm going to say it's more regimented. Having said that, we know everything now that I was doing in 1989 with Bayern, which is which is stretching, which is um, preparation, uh, sports science. We had that that the, the the players are having now. I had that 25 years ago and thought it was normal because when I left Aston Villa and I went to Bayern Munich, there was nothing like that. I suppose the, t- the way they train is, is kind of regimented in terms of, you know, they don't start at 10 and finish at 1 in the afternoon. We would sometimes only train for an hour and 15 minutes, then have a break, and then you would come back and do another hour. And there was lots of times when you train Tuesday morning, Wednesday afternoon, Wednesday morning, Wednesday afternoon. It wasn't like a one-day training session. Yes. You know, there, there, there would be more you know, the, than that, you know. And certainly in, in pre-season, that's a three times a day. You know, you're getting the chap at seven o'clock in the morning. You're on the, the, you know, you're out and ready to go by quarter to eight, uh, and then you're going for a run at night before dinner. So that basically they're making sure you're so tired that nobody's going anywhere and getting up to no nonsense in the middle of the forest somewhere. But I mean, but that's just the way that sort of the way that Bayern back then were doing things. But in terms of the players' attitude, they were kind of more professional. I think they were more conscientious in terms of. Not too much piss-taking, although there was fun, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But, you know, players would arrive to training with a yoga mat to do stretches beforehand, and then after the training had finished, they would then do the warm-down. Now, you see them all doing it now, but nobody was doing it then.
0: Yes. So, Byron, where's so it
1: Yeah. Little things like that was was massive to me, and that just seemed to Innovation. be not more professional, but, yeah, innovative, for yeah. sure. Thinking about you know your body, your warm down, your warm up, your stretching, and and you know if you do that properly and you train properly, and we've already bought you because you're a, a good international football player, so you better fit in here good. Then you're going to get quicker, faster, stronger, better, and that's what it was like.
0: Do you do you think you became technically improved by going to absolutely? Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. All these seven against twos
1: and eight against twos and little short games. And even being a little bit more more aware of where I played in position for the team. Whether I played on my own up top, or whether I played off a front player, or whether we played in a three up top, with the two wide guys and whatever. All that. All just as such more. Or whether he wanted me to play in my back to goal, or whether, it were, you know, or whether we pressed. Because Bayern did that all the time back then. Yeah. As soon as we get the ball off them, we're going to score. Or actually, concede possession, back to the halfway line let them come on to us, win the ball and hit them on the break because we were all quick Yes. so all, all that kind of stuff I was a better improved, I, was, yeah. I was better informed and improved in myself and certainly technical ability because I mean not that you think of moments at training or even in the games but there was four or five times in the first year at training when I thought right seriously you haven't bitten off too much here, big man, but you better get better. Because if you don't, you're going to sit in the back of the stand. Yeah. Because had, you, these boys, Augenthaler, Reuter, Flugler, Almond, Olaf Ton, Ludwig Kugel. Um, all primed. Kohler. All international football players. Seven of them won the World Cup in yeah. the team we had in 1990.
0: That's right.
1: And I was thinking, there's a couple of times I was thinking right, you better dust yourself down and you better get better here because you need to get as good as they are because they'll expect it from me and if I don't do it, I ain't playing in the team and thankfully you know, um, I had enough sort of quality and and uh, our skill to get even better and uh, yeah. it was just really, really unfortunate had, had I not get injured,
0: I'd have stayed I'd have been at Bayern Munich for 10 years for sure yeah, that's, uh,
1: and unfortunately I look back and it's the only thing I was disappointed with
0: That's impressive though Alan, that a team like Bayern Munich came in for you and you know, it's, uh, you know one of the giants and uh, definitely yes. fantastic that you that you play for them and you look at the as well, just to touch briefly Alan, the 1990 obviously you were part of the Scotland squad yeah, and, yep. uh, you know, it, uh, it's a great time for Irish people to remember the 1990 World Cup. Oh, but, fantastic. Uh, what's your memory of the 1990 World Cup?
1: Oh, I've just been involved with it. Uh, it's probably the only game I've ever played and I would like to try and play again was the game against Costa Rica. We got beat 1 0. And we absolutely battered Costa Rica and just could not score. And they went up the other end, scored 1 0. We beat Sweden 2 1. And then, unfortunately, we got b- beat by Brazil 1-0 and we had to go home. But it was just the most yeah. exhilarating, proudest yeah. proudest feeling in, in the world, you know. And, and, and it's the only thing, ridiculously enough, it's the biggest competition in the world. It's the only thing in my football, apart from my uh, silly tackle injury that finished my career, that I would go back and say, right, give me one more chance at that game. Yeah. Just yeah. give me one more chance at that game. And at the time... It's not that I didn't think we weren't going to win, or I didn't think we were too good, or they weren't good enough. It was just one of those games that me, Morris Johnston, you know, Jim Bet, Roy Aitken, Alec McLeish, Willie Miller, none of us, Richard Goff, none of us could put the ball in the back of the net, uh, and it, it was happened. so frust- so frustrating. Um, yeah. But certainly, looking back, um, just the, the most proudest moment of my life, and yeah. unfortunately for that particular time probably as big a disappointment in football than i've ever had
0: yeah it's uh disappointing but at least you know you got to wear your your country's colors at the biggest stage Ah, of them all and um i have to go on to the the second final question here alan i'm gonna ask you Mm -hmm. Uh, this one comes from my father-in-law and uh, his name is charlie gallagher hello
1: charlie gallagher i hope you're all right
0: yeah big celtic (laughs) fan (laughs) brilliant but and the question is What was it like to play with uh, Danny McGrain, Paul McStay and Tommy Burns?
1: Oh my God. Right, three quick stories. Paul McStay, probably one of the most gifted Scottish football players I played with and really should have left Celtic before if he was going to become a world superstar. Um, and he was good enough to play for Manchester United or Liverpool or anybody but he was a bit of a homeboy um, and was quite happy to stay at Celtic a wonderfully gifted football player Danny McGrain is the legend of all legends that I will never forget I was only at Celtic for about mm, say about two months and Danny said come on, come on we'll go for a beer and I went what? He went come on we'll go for a beer and I was sitting in a pub in Glasgow listening to Danny McGrain talking about football and I was like, my mates are never going to believe this. <laughs> ne- my mates are never going to believe this. It was incredible. And Danny McGrain was the only man I'd ever known had invited Kenny Dugliese to our table when we were sitting having a meal. And I was like, oh my God, this is unbelievable. I mean, I'd been at Air United, for God's sakes. Yes. A little boy from Air is now at Celtic. And I'm sitting having a beer with Danny McGrain, And Danny's saying, look there's a few things you need you know. there's a few things you're going to change in your life and it was just brilliant and the last one Tommy unfortunately who's not here now uh, just brilliant one of the most the biggest characters in the dressing you you've ever known in your life is just so infectious so much so that he actually got the Kilmarnock job and although my career was over I went to Kilmarnock just to train and I was coaching the under 18s and under 19s and he said you could still play, and I'm like, no, I couldn't, for God's sake. He said, but you can, come on. I'm, I'm going to get your player's contract just to the end of the season because you and George McCluskey and you know some of the lads, it's a good club atmosphere, and we can survive in the Premier Division, you know. And I did, and I wouldn't have done that for anybody. Remember, my father was a hero at Kamana. I didn't want to go and play for Kamana because my dad was there. Yes. I only played for Kamana because Tommy Burns said, come on, we're going to do this. And I wouldn't have done it for any other player apart from Tommy Burns. You you couldn't. I hope that's. I hope that answers the question on three of the guys because they were all absolutely fantastic.
0: You couldn't turn them down, Tommy Burns, and three big names in the history of Celtic. And you know, uh, you know, when you think of Danny McGrain, he was a right back that, uh, like, I never really have haven't. I'm going to be honest. I've never really seen him play much, but by all accounts, Mm -hmm. a superstar right back and. You know, Paul McStay, as you mentioned, in the midfield, and Tommy Burns as well. They're a very universally loved character at Celtic. He was
1: absolutely, absolutely, and even when he passed away, there was a genuine mourning in Scotland for someone who thought they knew Tommy because of the way he came over. Um, and if you spot, if you got the chance to speak to Tommy, Tommy was not an arrogant man. Tommy wasn't even a boastful man. He was a he was a genuinely kind individual. Family man, but funny, 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 um, and when even when you've mentioned now, I'm I'm speaking to you on the phone here, Tony, and I have the biggest smile on my face, just remembering some of the crazy, lunatic times that we used to have, as well as the the proud times, you know, playing with the three yeah. guys. It was uh, it was pretty damn brilliant. So a young boy for Air United, uh, who managed to do a few things and football career um I, I i look back fondly and i think probably about 95 percent of it mate
0: is there any funny story in particular that you could say and uh, because um like what tommy barnes that comes to mind what? tony
1: this podcast is now coming to the end because i cannot <laughs> divulge i yes. cannot divulge any silly stories about some of those yeah. guys but I, I'd, I'd love to tell you. there was I, I, here's one i think we had a christmas party one year and we got there at half past five and we put Tommy in a taxi at ten past seven. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, so that's, that gives an indication. Yeah. Oh, definitely a, a, a legend of Celtic. And uh, the final For question sure. I'm, as all three indeed, McGray and McStay, and the uh, final question I'm going to ask you, Alan, is your role as a pundit on Sky Sports. Um, mm-hmm. You definitely come across as a very passionate man and I've always enjoyed watching you there on the TV, and you definitely enjoy it, I would say.
1: Yeah, it's very kind of you saying that. It's it's not an easy job, to be honest, because you don't really want... I, I find it difficult to to overly criticise football players, because none of them are trying to be bad. Whether you're, whether you're a top-class individual or whether you play in the second division, you're at whatever level you're at, and you'll get out football football as, as much as you put in it. But working with Sky has just been terrific. I work in the best show on television on Soccer Saturday. I work with the best presenter on the television with, with Jeff Stelling. And, you know, the whole, you know, Sky, the world is changing as, as we go into it just now um, with, with with everybody. You know, we, unfortunately now we're all managers, we're all coaches, That's we're right, all, yeah. you, know, every, you know, everybody's got their own opinion, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And social media obviously you know, shoots it through the air sometimes. And everybody, not you—that there is absolutely an impossibility to please all of the people all the time. Oh, I can't do it. But yeah. if you talk truthfully, whether you're knowledgeable about that particular thing you're talking about, and you don't need to lie, and just say what you, not say what you see, but talk from the heart because I'm passionate about football and want all the football and all the games to be good all the time then that's what I try and do. I don't I don't have an agenda against anybody particularly, but I don't like players that cheat, and that's when I become a little bit more irate on television because I'm fed up players saying, he's on 150 grand a week, he's got no respect. Yeah. Well, I think that's poor, and I'd, I'd like them to have more respect for each other rather than feigning, etc., etc. So when I'm doing a game, I don't need stats I want to talk about the game and I want to try and preempt what's going to happen and I genuinely have loved my job since the day I was asked to do it for Sky Sports.
0: Well, people like myself that are football fans, Alan, um, we we appreciate that. You know, hmm. because yeah, the honesty, you, we want your honest opinion and you can definitely see with yourself there. And a number of guys that, uh, I'm, yeah. actually, I'm actually quite sad that a number of the other boys have been let go, like so Charlie. Yeah,
1: that's, you know. yeah, that's, that's, that that's a difficult decision by Sky, I think. And obviously there's a changing, changing viewers, changing of the guard, or just, you know, people coming in. You know, you've got some of the girls are coming in now, et cetera, et, yeah. et cetera. And there's a few, a few things that are changing. Um, and obviously they're trying to, to please everybody and try and have a, you know, some kind of you know, you know, sort of across the board that, that that people will accept and, and will want to watch, and um, only by the decisions that Sky yeah. can make will will decide whether or not the show is as successful That's and it. as globally respected as it was before. If it's not, then they've done something they shouldn't have done, uh, and if it, if it keeps you know going, hopefully the way I want it to go, then hopefully everybody will enjoy watching Soccer Saturday as the scores uh. come in and. We get the chance to watch the games.
0: I don't think that'll ever change, Alan, without doubt. And definitely, Alan, uh, everyone definitely enjoys uh, Gillette's Soccer Saturday. And I know my, my own wife says to me, you know, she says, that's the channel you watch more than any other channel. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's on continuously, you know. and uh, brilliant. Uh, a brilliant service uh, of what uh, football. You uh, there's definitely nothing that'll be missed if something happens. But, uh, Alan, I'd like to really thank you for your time over the last hour plus hour and uh, 10 minutes whatever it is and uh, you've been uh, as you've been an absolute joy to speak with
1: Pleasure, thanks very much I've thoroughly enjoyed it I'm glad you managed to reach out to me and I managed to help you out doing this podcast and just think the next Man United game will do Keep your eyes open just in case I give Tony G a mention.
0: That would be good. That would be good. (laughs) I'll be keeping a a big look out for that, uh, Alan. But certainly much appreciated and uh, well done on what you've done in your own career and continued success to you as a pundit. Thank you very much, Tony. Yeah, Yeah, thank you, Alan. Well, folks, that rounds up episode number 31 of the Time Out podcast with Mr. Alan McAnally and uh, an absolute gentleman to speak to. And I hope that you did enjoy it and uh, keep a lookout for episode number 32, which will be coming in the next couple of weeks. So uh, for now, take care and enjoy the rest of your week.